A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the musician and author Susanna Hoffs. Susanna enjoyed pop stardom throughout the 80s as part of the all-girl group The Bangles with hits like Eternal Flame, Walk Like an Egyptian and of course Manic Monday, the hit written for them by Prince. Susanna then launched a solo musical career and just recently has published her first novel, This Bird Has Flown. It's a romantic comedy about a one-hit wonder trying to navigate her way through life post-stardom. I caught up with Susanna on her recent visit to London and we sat down to talk about her career, the 1980s, her relationship with Prince, plus the important role that both psychotherapy and sobriety plays in her life. I'm obviously a big fan of her music, but I was also really privileged that she opened up in the second part of this interview about her decision to quit booze years ago and her insights to managing mental health. There's some great wisdom, great advice, and also great gossip in this conversation. What more could you want? I hope you enjoy listening. Susanna Hoffs, welcome to The Reset. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. Uh, It's so great to meet you. Thank you for your time. And it's so exciting to uh, read your fantastic book. Oh, my This Bird of Flown. I've been really enjoying reading it. It's a really fun read. Yeah. Um, But it's got some really interesting sort of themes that are, you know, tricky although it's like a fun funny book and romantic and there's all that stuff there was some pretty there was some dark undercurrents to some of it not least to do with show business and success and and all of that stuff so I guess the obvious thing is is you know the protagonist was a one-hit wonder you weren't a one-hit wonder you're several hits wonder but how much did you draw upon your own experiences what was there a, a sort of a gap in your career at any point where you felt like Jane did at the beginning. There's been a big gap <laughs> since mm-hmm. the end of the Bangles and beyond, mm-hmm. actually. I don't know why. I'd, I've never really expressed it quite that way, but because it's definitely something that comes up when people ask, have read the book and mm-hmm. they know it's a one hit wonder and they don't think of, they wonder if, if I related to that experience. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's only, 
in having written the book, but also reflecting now at the age that I am, which is 64, reflecting back on that decade of the 80s, and then the sort of somewhat deafening silence that came afterwards. Like, it was very hard to to um, attempt the solo career. And, and no, I say that, attempted. I, I've had a solo career, and I've worked with Matthew Sweet on these Under the Covers records. You may or may not know those, but we made three of them. Um, and I've never stopped making music, but that, that sort of bubble of the 80s, what happened, it was just a very intense decade, and it was, it was like nonstop, full on, and um, there was a, f I, I was able to take the feeling of not being able to, you know, reach those heights, I would say, if you're looking at them just from, you know, radio plays on songs, you know, mm. I wasn't able to reach that uh, beyond the 80s, and that's okay. Everything, music is music, and sometimes people click with something, and sometimes they don't, and sometimes people are enjoying it, but you just don't know that who they are or where you know this, yeah. they're not on the radio anymore so yeah. but you feel it's okay now was that what is it tough the experience when you're going through the transitional period if you remember yes. to, to that moment where you're like where you were first doing solo stuff and it wasn't perhaps in the same commercial heights as yeah. the Vandals in terms of your own identity your self-esteem are those yeah. how do you cope with those moments well I did I coped pretty well I would say but in, in thinking about writing a novel about a one-hit wonder, it kind of came back to me. And actually, I still, I still feel that the music business is one thing and being a musician is another. Like, my joy and my passion and my escape into music and my love of music, nothing can ever, ever tarnish that or hurt that like it's a sacred love of music like I'm just so totally obsessed with music and I always say it's the beginning middle and end of every day I have a song to listen to as I'm brushing my teeth in the morning and yeah. one to listen to before I go to sleep you know essentially yeah. but um but I do think you know and this is probably true for most people in the music business very rare for someone to continue on and be you know, the Rolling Stones, for example, yeah. you know, it's, um, yeah, and, and, and often bands, it's, you're, you're sort of wed to each other, it's a kind of marriage of multiple people, and yeah. you're on the road, and you, it's difficult to both have a family, for example, like, when, when the 80s ended, I was sort of thinking, well, maybe, you know, I was about 30, and I was mm -hmm. thinking, I need to think about family, if that's something I want to do, and I did, and I, mm -hmm got married and had two children and life has a way of you know intervening in a way but it was yeah. it to, to be a solo artist then became a little more complicated of trying to tour and have young children it was just but it's all good stuff it's just goes yeah the territory. I, thinking, I mean no real complaints i saw i saw like i can't remember but i was you know so when you got married and I thought, oh, that, that happened around the time, not long after you'd wound down the bang. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking, well, that, that must have been, you know, a great thing for you. Yes. In as much as, you know, you must have spent so much of your 20s on the road. Ten, on the road and you're, my, I joke now about how, how, how chaotic my dating life in the 80s was, mm. given all that, mm. not only being on the road, but trying to maintain a relationship on the road. Yeah. There was this one tour towards the end where it was like 
the Bengals and their boyfriends all are on the road together. Right. Like all the boyfriends were willing to go on the road with us because we're all losing our minds because it was just like we were so lonely for our boyfriends at the time. The cliche in rock and roll is male bands go away and don't want their girlfriends I coming know, with them. But we were not that. Yeah. I know. Who was your boyfriend then? Did you have a... Uh, my boyfriend... Um, it Don, wasn't Michael Don, J. Fox. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> we just... Yeah, I, there's just a picture of us together. And it comes up a lot. Grateful Dead shirt. Right. And I, I think we were somewhere like SNL or something, Saturday Night Live yeah. or something. And I'm, I'm wearing this black dress and... It, we're kind of hugging or have our, not hugging, but he has his arm around me. I just, my memory is that. So like him, I don't have a memory of something other than. Arm around. Yeah. Okay. That moment. Yeah. But it, it is hilarious that. It seems to persist. It seems that to rumor. persist. Yeah. But then again, the 80s are a little bit sort of misty, blurred. I mean, mm. I, I have, I've hung on to many memories, but not all of them. You can't. With all the decades that came that followed, yeah. you know. Yeah. But um. But yeah. So um. So sorry. Who who was your boyfriend? Who you took on tour with? You? Oh, Donovan Leach, the right. son of the singer Donovan. Yeah. And his sister Ioni Sky is a wonderful actress. Oh yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. But that last Bangles tour, we all had boyfriends with us on the road because it is a lonely life. Let's yeah. face it. I, I you know, bet. You're gone for months and months. And was it just non non stop? Really, was your memory just? Pretty of that whole stuff. decade, because you started early in the decade, right? Yes. And then you broke up late in the we decade. We started around 81. We got signed to Columbia Records, called Columbia back then, yeah. but then later became Sony in 83. And then it was just, it was just like full on, as you guys say, yeah. right? Like yeah. full on touring, um, living together essentially on the road. In the early days, we, we all shared one room. Mm two girls to a, a double bed because we were really low budget. That was when we were opening for the English beat known as the oh, yeah. beat here. Yeah. And that was a really fun tour. Um, yeah. And it just progressed and we got really, really lucky. And then the great gift of Manic Monday, Prince was a mm. fan. Mm. He loved this one song that was on the Bengals first Columbia record. So once we got signed, we put out an album and it was a song that Vicky and I wrote called Hero Takes a Fall. And he just loved that one. And he loved soloing to it. Wow. So it was like, you know, he would show up unexpectedly at a club. And meanwhile, and then shortly after he gave us Manic Monday. And it was weird because it was like the same week that I discovered Purple Rain, that song and that album. I think he was, he saw, he, he, he liked this song, Here Takes a Fall, and we had done a video for it. And I was in a French maid outfit. We all played these different characters. Right, okay. I, I was told that he liked that. And I was the lead singer on that particular song. So yeah. he, he caught his eye and his ear and he was interest, interested in the bangles. And mm. then he started to show up at our gigs and he always wanted to play just solo in that crazy mm. supernatural way that he had of playing guitar. Um, and he would just grace us with these guitar solos on that song. And then, and then later, when we were back in the studio to make the second album, which did end up having Manic Monday on it, he, I got a call saying, would I come over to the, uh, the sister's studio, Sunset Sound, where he was recording it, and he had a song for us. 
would I pick up the song. But when I got there, he was recording, so he had left it for me, and I still have the very same. I'm making the sign of a cassette. It was on a, like an old-fashioned C90 cassette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and what, he'd just played it on the piano? Or? No, no, he actually had made a little recording of it, thinking that we might just layer our vo- put our vocals onto his track. Okay. But he was singing it. Okay. So he was singing the lead part that I ended up singing. Is, is that track... Is that track ever yeah, been heard? Yeah, it's on his originals now. Oh, okay. He finally released it. Right, or, or they his, did I after he say, died, yeah. Yes, his estate released right, it. Right, okay. Yeah. Interesting. I know. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, you say, like, he saw you in the video and people say took a liking to you. How do you feel about that when people indicate, oh, well, Prince, you know, to use our word, Prince fancied Susanna Hoffs. He, yeah. was, he was He was just in love with Susanna Hoffs and that's what he wrote, Manic Monday. Is that... A compliment, or does it is it annoying to when people you know, say that? Um, I don't think it's. I I take it all as just what it is. It's it's all it's all part of the history, and I just feel at this point in my life, you know, so grateful for all the things that have happened. You know, Prince was a quite enigmatic character. He liked to sort of talk in riddles in a way, and I'm just I'm just using that expression as. Because he was, he was, I don't know, he just had such a powerful persona. You couldn't be in a room or sitting across from him and not sense that there was a lot going on in his head and it was really intriguing and fun, but you also felt a little bit like dancing on eggshells maybe or mm. or sparring or like it was, it, he was an iconoclastic genius, you know, yeah. let's all face it. So, so I was, I was like... It'd be like being blasted with someone's charm beam and you're just kind of like trying to keep up, you know, in a sense. But it was enigmatic. He was very enigmatic. Being in a relationship with him would have been weird then, presumably. I mean, like as for someone like that, because you need a certain amount of like just down to earth thought of humanity in a a relationship, don't you? I would think so. I mean, I, you know, there was a lot of rumors swirling around, but really when I, when I look at what, the times that I hung out with Prince, it was really like, he was a mischievous person and he was also a brilliant person and he was also a music lover and he happened to just so love the bangles and that song. And I just feel like I have lovely memories of just that gig at the palace, going up and sitting in the bar area, just in a booth with him mm-hmm. and joking around with him and there was something that got that I stumbled across in a paper something in a newspaper an old clipping where um, he said may have said what happens when the um, oh, I can't remember it now so you probably shouldn't I'll say be, it but something, look yeah yeah but it was like something along the lines of what happens when the clock strikes 12 like the Cinderella yeah. story because he's a prince oh, he's right, a prince yeah. Yeah. and I might have said something like what happens when the tro- uh, the clock strikes 12 and I think he said something like the bodyguards disappear because he always had bodyguards <laughs> you know yeah. like like a, like discreet distance yeah. away but you know he was Prince. He was yeah. a superstar. Yeah. I was like a scrappy musician who'd just gotten signed to Columbia and had our first single out, you know? Yeah. But then the gift of Manic Monday changed everything for the Bengals. I do think it was just, it was such a brilliant song. And 
I remember singing it and feeling like, how did he know this would be right for me to sing? Because it just felt so good yeah. to yeah. sing it. Because you know when a song is a struggle and you know when a song fits like a glove. You just feel so good when you sing it. Yeah, your voice is Scott. I mean, it's hard to... I, I, I can't remember if I've heard the Prince version, but it's hard to imagine that song. It's hard to imagine a cover of that song. Yeah. It is, because it fits your uh, delivery. Yeah. You know, I always talk about bands from the 60s, but also the 70s, seeing the Talking Heads for their fr oh, the yeah. first concert at the Whiskey A Go-Go, seeing Patti Smith and the Sex Pistols at the Winterland Ballroom in, in San Francisco. These bands were not like stadium rock. They were mm. not like The Who playing or The Stones no. playing. They were scrappy art bands. Blondie was an art yeah. band, a yeah. full art band. Yeah. So it was more, it was everything. It was the aesthetic, it was the clothes. Of course, it always is. I mean, the swinging 60s had a big effect on me. Just the Beatlemania. But if I think of the Bangles, funnily enough, like you're talking about those bands and actually you never had big synths or anything like that no. or Phil Collins drums no we didn't so actually you're more in many ways 60s and 70s and yeah I mean I suppose you're styling people think of the 80s a totally. bit but actually if you think of the music I can see that you were more influenced by those bands that Absolutely. you're mentioning much yeah. more like the melodies and everything and, yeah. and uh, I guess the, the harmonies are very the 60s birds, aren't the they the and the poppers yeah. the Beatles you know, the multi-part harmonies was a huge, huge part of the Bengals. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to think, really. I mean, you look at the 80s, you know, big hair rock, massive staging rock, and then you had kind of... Our hair was pretty big, too. It was quite at big, but you point, weren't quite white snake. No, 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 no. <laughs> And then you had, like, the sort of British bands and lots of synth kind of new romantic bands. Yeah. And actually, there's not many to compare to the Bengals, no, really, is no. there, in terms of the type of music you no, were doing? No, we were kind of an outlier, in a way, yeah, yeah, because we weren't a synth band. Yeah. But... but but then Walk Like, Egy Walk like yeah. an Egyptian was this quirky song. I remember sitting with David Kahn, who, who was our producer on the first two records. And I was just, he was just like, he just wanted to play me some stuff up at Columbia Records. Mm. And he played me Walk Like an Egyptian. And I think it was this really wonderful singer named Marnie Jones, or Marty Jones, mm. Marty Jones. And I thought it had this kind of like, almost like Brazilian, like, kind of or like it had kind of like a samba beat yeah you know and it was like very very avant-garde sounding she, she she did this very dry delivery and it was very cool yeah but very quirky at the same time compared to the kind of 60s yeah. pop songs we yeah. were doing i mean it, yeah and that came after manic monday it right? did and so, so people were so presume your labels like do another manic monday do something like that exactly. and you've come out with this well, actually, it was on the same album. Right, okay, but, but as so a single what, release, as, I mean. Yeah, yeah, as a single release, it was the third one. And so it was written by this wonderful guy named Liam Sternberg, who grew mm. up with Chrissy Hine in, in, in Ohio. Yeah. And he just took a, apparently, he took a trip to Europe, and he was on a ferry, and the waters were really, like, choppy, really, yeah. choppy and everyone was, he just observed everyone kind of, <laughs> On, as the boat was tilting one way and the next that they were sort of trying to yeah. their hands were up in some he just envisioned them as like oh the sand dance yeah, yeah the sand dancer the paintings because they were sort yeah. of trying to steady themselves yeah that as the lore goes so it was a very iconoclastic kind of song and I remember talking to David Kahn years decades later that there's when after I say walk like an Egyptian in between the first 
at the very last verse yeah. verses um, but at the very end and then there's like a little moment and then I say it again and you can kind of hear the sound of my lips parting and I was like you've got to clean that up you've got to erase that and yeah. he's like no yeah. it's human we got to yeah. leave it yeah. and I was like oh he's right yeah. leave the little like imperfections well, that's another thing that made you distinctive because a lot of 80s pop was so polished and glossy exactly that that wouldn't have ever happened yeah and, you know. the, and the record company just sort of threw that song out as like should we try for a third single because the second single was a Jules Shear song called If She Knew What She Wants which is right. a very pretty call and response very yeah. sort of mamas and papas type of mid-tempo pop song but we were shocked that yeah. walk like an Egyptian just wouldn't leave the charts and it became the song that was over the holidays so it became the biggest billboard song of that year right. because it, it went from two weeks before the holidays over the holidays into the new year uh, and it just held the chart position in America yeah yeah it just because they freeze the charts so we got kind of lucky I think I have been witness to superstars doing their thing like when the Bengals opened for mm. Queen at Slane Castle and to watch Freddie Mercury for example mm. like that's a rock star yeah that's confidence and swagger and a voice yeah and a, and a crap many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And also, like, supernatural yeah. to witness that. You know, and I was never the same after watching Freddie Mercury at Slane Castle. And I think it was the last gig he did with Queen. Really? I think so. Oh, when was In that? Ireland, was that late was 80s? 19, no, it was 80, um, 86. Right. Yeah. That was the summer. So that was right when Walk Like an Egyptian. So it was okay, before so that. Okay, so you were like, this yeah. was your imperial moment. Yeah. That year was crazy. That year went from... Yeah, that was a crazy year. How hedonistic was it for you, that period? Um, you know, we were all in our 20s. We were not, I would say, we were not doing the things that you read about in whichever books about, you know, Hammer of the Gods. or Motley Crue. We weren't throwing things. Yeah. We one time, is it still going? Yeah, we yeah. one time, jokingly... Because there was the M&M's, no, whichever oh, color yeah, was yeah. verboten on the M&M yeah. dish. We one time, we were not capable of trashing a dressing room. <laughs> and one time we thought, well, maybe we should trash a jet dressing room. Who want what? But nobody wanted to do it. Like, we were too, <laughs> too nice. Yeah. You know, 
But we like to drink our wine before and after the show. We have fun with our crew. We we really, you know, we definitely were, were, we were not, you know, no one was a heroin addict. Mm. Um, We weren't doing any hard drugs. We just liked a bit of wine. We liked a bit of partying. Mm. But what else is there to do on the road? Of course. It's it's pretty lonely. But I, I read that you don't drink now. I don't drink is, now. Is that right? So, yeah, I was, I was interested in that. And my podcast is about kind of a lot of it's about sobriety. I'm so good myself. Oh, yeah. Um, is it, how easy was that? And um, what was the decision based on? How long have you been living I've that been life? Eleven this eleven years in January yeah. this year, um, and I love it. I love it. I feel like it's difficult sometimes because it is very nice to drink wine, <laughs> which was my main drink. Mm. But um, I just wanted to see what would happen because it wasn't the kind of thing like I did enjoy wine, mm. and it, it wouldn't. I never went to meetings or anything, but that was just me. I just, I just, the sort of same discipline I had when I was a little girl, when I was studying ballet, you know, and that was a very strict kind of thing. If you want to be a dancer, you have to go to dance class five days a week and not have any fun and have to worry about your body and all this kind of stuff. So I just thought, I'd read some studies that maybe made me sort of look wary about drinking a lot. And I just... I just thought, yeah, let's see what happens. And I just, I've never looked back. How about you? How was your experience? I I felt I was drinking too much. With me, it was just like, I'd always drunk. And I, and it was very normalized in the culture I'd grown up in. You know what it's like here, everyone's drinking beer all the time. Pub culture, exactly. Wine was wine. And so, and it was really normalized. And so you never stop and think, oh, this is bad because everyone else is doing it. And then in my 30s, late 30s, I was like, mm, this is really bad. And I had to go and get a bit of help. Yeah, well, that's you know, good. But, but I read... But so I, you I, just quit in your 30s. That's I quit in my, in my late 30s. I think maybe just as I was like on the cusp of 39 and 40. Not because of that, just because I was really like, this is really problematic now. I'm drinking... I was drinking in the day and that sort of oh, stuff. Oh, that's... Yeah. So it, with me, it was more clear. I think there's a lot of people who aren't you don't it doesn't sound like you had a problem which in, in many ways makes it harder to stop yeah because if you don't have a problem then you think ah oh, it's fine whereas I was starting to think I've got a problem which in some way they call it the uh, gift of desperation yeah in recovery yeah, don't yeah. they but in any case um, I read something that I really loved that you said because it was so simple and it was oh. something along the lines of I just thought I'm going to have to find other things yeah. to create joy every day. And it was so simple. You would just like watch a movie or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I just... And that's what I believe in. That's what I tried to say to people. I can't remember what you said, but... That's pre- yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. Like, I just needed to replace the pleasure that a glass of wine or two or three would do once mm. I started. It was always hard to stop at one. But it's not like I drink a bottle of it. But yeah. I just knew that it was sort of... It just was like this automatic way to relax. But yeah. there's other ways to have a di- diverting experience that's more fulfilling. Mm. Because when I would th- say, okay, every night I'm gonna stay, and I still do this, every night I give my pers- myself permission to watch a movie or binge a show. And I don't care who else in the house has gone to sleep, I'll stay up as late as I want, and I don't care. I just, this is my, this is my substitute. This is, this is my joy. To, mm. And I learned something. And it really, I don't think I would have written the book, to be honest, mm. had I not made room for absorbing stories 
or reading or just taking the evening to just read for an hour. Yeah. I just got, my brain was so happy. It was dancing around going, woo, look at all this wonderful stuff you're learning about storytelling. Yeah. There's so much like when you're drinking, sort of things that aren't involved in drinking seem almost by definition not that much fun and you get quite cynical. Yeah. And then when you're not drinking, so much stuff that was there anyway. Suddenly, it was there anyway. It's like, oh my God, that's actually like tiny things, like watching a film. Yeah. I mean, I know what you mean. That's just like self-care. It's like, I'm going to stay up and watch a film. The things that you loved when you were a kid before you were drinking. Exactly. Come back round again. It's like being a kid. Yeah. That's the lesson. It, it to really share with is. anyone who's curious to try it. It's like being a kid. You get to stay up late and watch a movie. Maybe two. Maybe you binge a show. Yeah. Maybe you eat popcorn while you're doing it. And you watch kids and you think, they're always having fun and none of them are drunk. I know. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. That's a really interesting point you just made. Yeah. I really love that. Well, listen, when I read your quotes about not drinking, I was like, I love the simple ones. And yeah. it's just like, it's so straightforward. Yeah. You just make sure you're having, distraction is the word as well. All it is is a distraction. Find better things to distract yourself with, things that might nourish you whilst yeah. also making yeah. you feel relaxed. And you here's know? the other thing. At the very beginning, not to just dwell on it because, but it is interesting mm. that to be, it's fun to be able to talk to mm. someone who's gone through it. My first fear was like, what do I do when I go to a dinner party with another couple? We, we're having dinner with another couple mm. and the, everyone's going to drink wine. And then I realized, well, I'll, a friend of mine said, just order caffeine. You're still going to get a buzz from it. Mm. So... Also, maybe it means going home and then staying up late watching, and watching that's movie. That's where the late night movies come But, but, the caffeine is, is actually good for you. Coffee is actually healthy. Is that right? So they say. Mm. Extremely healthy. Really? Yeah. And um, I just How many a day, coffee. though? I became addicted when I was first sober. Oh. I had a coffee... Like, the same reason that you're describing, but I got out of control. Now I try to limit it. Well, towards nighttime, yeah. yeah, yeah I don't yeah. sit and watch a movie at 9 p.m. and have coffee, <clears throat> but I give it to myself during the day. It was very helpful as a sort of brain focuser for writing the novel. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, I, loved, I, love I love it. to write on coffee. I, I love, love to it. write Isn't on it coffee. Great? It's a great feeling, it's yeah. It's fabulous. I put jazz in my headphones. Nice. I, I, I tried to do some research on whether or not that type of me. I, I was never a jazz fan until like last few years, and I started writing it's to it. Like improvisation. Double espresso, Miles Davis. Oh I get loads of work. Oh my god, done. that's heaven. But listen, um, obviously, I was going to say, you know, the amount of creative energy you've got right now, yeah, is amazing. Thank and you. And so that must partly. I'm, I've been a big fan of your Instagram for a while. <laughs> Thank you. And you're someone who seems like very like. You, your creativity and your energy is very, very high. Yeah. I mean, what do you put that down to? Has that always been the case through, you know, over the years? Or you, do you feel that there's a moment in your life? Is it sobriety? What, what is it that, because you've done, you've made these records in lockdown, lots of people, yeah. lockdown got them really low yeah. and down. Yeah. And you seem to react in a different way. And now you've written this fantastic novel. Where's all this yeah. energy coming from? Well, I think because I'm doing something I truly want to do, and even though it's really hard work, I mean, it's hard to write a novel. Mm. It's hard to record music and you worry about every little thing. They're like your children. You're mm. like, you care so much. You want to get it right. So there's mm. a lot of, there's a little bit of neuroses in mm. it, you know, of like just trying to just 
move away from something and that that's the, the that's the version that's mm. going to be printed that people are going to yeah. read you know yeah, yeah. all that kind of OCD kind of oh. you can drift towards that when yeah. you're making anything but you have to walk away from the painting when in the oil is still wet you yeah. know you have to walk away so that so that other than that I have I don't miss um the life that I had le led for many years, I, I, I found the road, especially when you don't drink, but I'm not going to put it on that. Yeah. But I found the road to be very lonely. Even though I was with the Bangles, I found the road just generally was not something like some people's bliss is being on the road. Yeah. I have the feeling that, um, oh my God, I'm going to space out. He's the guy um, from... Um, <laughs> he was in Nirvana, the drummer. Uh, oh, yeah, Dave, yeah. Grohl. Yeah, Dave, Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl. Yeah. Someone like Dave Grohl. Um, Foo Fighters. Mm. Sorry. Not, I need more coffee. It's been a long day. <laughs> Is I that for the afternoon? Forget You've that. done a lot of talking okay, today. Okay, a lot of talking today. So, someone like, maybe I'm guessing someone like Dave Grohl or even the Stones. Look how much they do it. Yeah. They love, they that. love that. You have to love it. Mm. It's not for everyone, you know? But you were doing it to, to make it. Well, you know, you had to, well, during didn't you, the 80s, to break through. But in the, in the decades after oh. of trying to get more music, we recorded other albums, whatever, in those mm. post the 80s period. Mm. I did a lot of touring with the Bangles up until I even had a gig with them in 2019. Yeah. So pre, just before the pandemic. So, but I, I found that I, because for some reason, I just have this urge to make new things. I just wanted to make new things, or at least do the old things differently. You know, reinvent them somehow. Yeah. And I found that that wasn't something that you can really do unless everyone's on board with it. Yeah. So you have to, it's hard making art by committee. It's wonderful. Yeah. Being in a band is one of the most incredible experiences. I mean, I'm, not, I'm trying to find the right adjective. Mm. Like it's it's, when you're on stage in your band and you're all communing musically and everybody's in that moment together, it's, mm. it's, it's hard to find words for that. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're touring and you find that you're a bit lonely when you're not performing and you're only performing for an hour yeah. <laughs> the whole day, Hotel rooms it's are very difficult. Yeah. Hotel rooms can be very lonely. Yeah. In me, in the Me Too, you know, the, I don't know what it was like back then, yeah. but as a, as a woman, a high-profile woman in the in the music industry, presumably yeah. there was all sorts of dodgy behaviour well, there as well. There was, I mm. think there was. I think there are many stories, and they just haven't quite been told. How I I skated through pretty well. Right. I felt like, you know, um, but you do. I definitely had a sense that it was a man's world, mm. the business side of it, mm. somehow. And I definitely felt, and I think my partners in the Bengals probably had similar experience of feeling quite judged in a way for, you know, how are we, were we, you know, how did, how did we dress, how we looked, how much we, it was sort of not, like this sort of, under under not spoken aloud but this idea that you should use sex sex mm. appeal or sexiness mm. to sell mm. your music for me rock and roll is naturally sexy i yeah. so for me it was more the idea that 
we were kind of scrappy and not very and now we're perceived as sort of glammy like yeah. glam but yeah. we really weren't you know we were quite um there was, a, there was a punk feel to there it. There was a punk feel to it, and we didn't have, we weren't dressed by designers, so we were, we were not really seen as. I remember during the eighties how amazing Madonna was at mm. integrating fashion lines with her look mm. and her uh, ability, because as a solo artist, it's easy to to sort of shape shift and yeah. try on personas and looks and, you know she kind of really owned that in a way and owned her sexuality in a way that was really cool. Mm. Whether she had was harassed or not, I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything one way or the other, but I think there was mostly, so we, I don't remember overt harassment. I mean, it was also because we were a band of women that mm. we were able to band together and I felt power in numbers you know i felt mm. protected that we were it was all for all four of us yeah. in a way i think yeah one. i think it might be more vulnerable making if you're just a solo artist mm. but i do feel i did feel very much that there was the male gaze somehow on us and that it was just rather intimidating you know, yeah. one wouldn't think it looking back and going, but everybody loved you, you know, like yeah. they loved the Bengals. But when you're in it, you feel, I don't know, it's it's too bad that the, our 20s are wasted on us when we're in our 20s. Yeah. Yeah. Because you always go to the place of, I'm not good enough. When you mm. should be going, look what we've done, good on, you know, yeah. give ourselves a, a hug. We don't know how to do that when we're in our 20s, sadly. Luckily, I had really good psychotherapists. I mean, it's like, you know, psychiatrist. Your, your, your dad was My a dad psychotherapist. My dad was a psychotherapist. So early on, I realized when the Bengals got signed to Columbia, my anxieties levels went skyrocketed, and I knew I, knew I needed to do therapy. So my through my dad's connections, someone he didn't know well, so it wasn't mm. like, you know, it was felt very like a good choice for me, I started to do psychotherapy, like on the couch, Freudian therapy during wow. the bangles. Wow. So maybe Proper I have hardcore stuff. Hardcore, yeah. lying yeah. on the couch, talk therapy, but like not sitting across in chairs, but yeah. like not seeing the therapist, just hearing their voice and wow. being able to say whatever I want without feeling like someone's staring at me. Yeah. Very old school. And but again, useful. Very useful. I had, I, I, gosh, I haven't talked about this. You're getting a good, oh, good scoops here because I realized now I look back on the eighties and it's like, there's, it just, it's just a decade that I experienced when it was so magical with all this stuff happening with, with music mm. and being in a band and an all girl band mm. and all this stuff. But you know what? It was challenging in its way. It was. Yeah. It was like being, a, like I said, a family, but like exponentially more complicated because the way that all the different people intersect, like, and having sisters. Yeah, and there's, there's egos the at play. I mean, I assume the egos aren't as huge as they are in male bands. No, it wasn't. But, yeah. but it must come into it a little. I mean, you know, obviously you became so, such the face of of the band I mean you know you were and I'm sure that wasn't your by design Not but it just is just the way it happened yeah, it and that must be problematic yeah, within the band yeah. yeah I would say so yeah it, I felt yeah uncomfortable yeah yeah 
But at the same time, as the band's music became more and more successful and we, we were doing the thing that we dreamed of doing and getting mm -hmm. to the place where we dreamed we'd want to be, there was that other side to it, yeah, that created a little bit of, like, tension, I would say. I this say is a very confessional... I, I know, uh, I'm loving interview. it. The, no, just, the, the, it's so fascinating that you did that kind of therapy. For you to uh, just understand the value of therapy must yeah. have been just such an asset. Oh, it's so Probably good. why you didn't become an addict or anything. Yeah, I think so. I think because my parents were so open-minded and I, my dad had the good sense to suggest trying analysis you know or just therapy but it turned out to be like good old-fashioned Freudian analysis yeah. when I when I could do it when I wasn't on tour but I got so much out of it I really did it was really really great now I you I haven't thought about this it's been so many decades but it was so helpful in terms of just processing the anxiety processing and anxieties and being like in a family with your bandmates yeah and living with them for months at a time and all the just just the dynamics between everybody and did you manage to get any of them on the couch i don't think i don't know all right i don't know be a good thing you do if you ever managed a band you should say Everyone, take a shrink on the right wasn't there that documentary about metallica yeah where yeah they brought a therapist I've, on yeah, the road amazing amazing every band oh this is something i truly believe in yeah. every band should have a therapist yeah to work with them yeah, absolutely. To talk through the, they the could have, some the of these bands could have stuck together for decades longer. Absolutely, think of it. Yeah, most bands really only have like a ten-year run, and That's then everyone's true. And done. And then they just yeah, like, hate each other it. and implode. Yeah, yeah. Um, Susanna, we're getting the wire. Yeah, Thank yeah. you so much. I really this appreciate you opening up about that stuff yeah. as well because that's really what this my podcast is about, and it's Fabulous. just fantastic to get that. So thank you. Thank you. Really for appreciate it. That was the brilliant Susanna Hoffs. Great stories and really compelling stuff on how to get the most out of your life after you quit booze. All advice to live by, I reckon. Thanks for listening, as always. If you don't already, then please consider subscribing to The Reset Extra for bonus podcasts and newsletters, access to live events and more. Just go to samdelaney.substack.com. And look out for next week's Reset podcast, which will be the 100th episode and features a very special guest who is one of my all-time heroes. Until then, gang, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.